Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to 90 Day with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be breaking down Season 9, Episode 5 of 90 Day Fiancé, Breast Intentions. The episode opens with Kobe and Emily, and Kobe isn't too happy with Emily breastfeeding their son. She's setting up to pump in the middle of the living room, and Kobe still can't believe he's there with his son. It's been a long, emotional first day for everyone. As Emily turns the pump on, Kobe doesn't look too pleased. He asks, babe, is this really happening? She asks, yeah, me pumping right here in the living room? He says, this is not normal, and she can't be doing this in front of her parents as well. Emily explains, she's pumped in front of her parents for 17 months. Kobe tells Emily the fact that her parents let her do it doesn't mean it's right. For me, I would probably pump in my room or someplace private, but if Emily is comfortable and her parents are also comfortable and they have an open dynamic like that where everyone is comfortable, I don't think it's a big deal or I don't think it's appropriate for Kobe to interfere in it. It's his first day and ultimately Emily is the one pumping and it's her parents' house. So it's not up to Kobe. It has nothing to do with him and it's not his place to give his two cents. So I don't feel he should be commenting or shaming her. Would I pump in front of my parents? No way, but we aren't that close. I don't live with them. I haven't lived with them since I was 18 and they're ultra conservative. So I wouldn't want to pump in their presence and they also wouldn't be comfortable with it. But if Emily is close with her parents and everyone's good with it, other than Kobe, it's not his place to interfere. The only people who should comment are her or her parents and everyone seems comfortable. Kobe asks Emily if she thinks it's the right way. Emily asks where she is supposed to go, downstairs? And Kobe says, of course. He asks why she can't pump in the basement. Emily tells him she doesn't need to go to the basement just to pump. She doesn't think Kobe has ever seen anyone pump before, so he thinks it's strange. But she says everyone in her family knows how hard her breastfeeding journey was for her. It was super difficult for her. So the fact that she's able to produce milk now when she wasn't able to in the beginning is something she is so proud of and she isn't ashamed and she isn't going to go downstairs. Kobe says maybe in the past she pumped in the living room and Emily asks if they pump in Africa and Kobe says they do. He tells her, listen to me, and he says, listen to me a bunch of times and I don't like the way he says that. If someone tells me, listen to me, I automatically ignore them. But anyway, he tells Emily, listen to me. And Emily tells Kobe he's never seen it done before. And Kobe admits he's never seen it done before, but he knows the women in Africa do pump. He asks, what if somebody comes to visit? Will Emily still sit there pumping in the living room? He tells her she should at least listen to him. He asks, why can't you try it? Emily asks, in Africa, do women go to the room just to feed their babies? Kobe says they do. Keep in mind, Emily's dad was adjusting the fireplace and her mom was in their kitchen overhearing Kobe and they don't look pleased at Kobe interfering. Emily asks Kobe if he thinks she should pump in private when she doesn't even breastfeed in private. He asks if she can't try it that way. Kobe says it's normal a mother has to breastfeed her child, but where you do it also matters. He says in Africa, Women will be a little more discreet and you could equally choose to go somewhere private to do it. Emily's father walks in the living room to sit down and Kobe tells Emily, you see, 
your father's right here and he doesn't think it's appropriate for Emily to be pumping in front of her dad. Emily says her dad doesn't really care and Kobe says it doesn't mean it's right. Emily's dad tells Kobe they do things a little bit differently there and he doesn't see anything wrong with his daughter's behavior. Emily says, see, there's nothing wrong with it. Kobe says he wasn't brought up like that. He says his younger sister stopped breastfeeding when her son was around seven months. Emily asks, and that's normal? And Kobe says it is. Kobe tells Emily she's been breastfeeding for 17 months. She tells Kobe she can't just cut her son off. Kobe says he told her he was coming and she needs to start thinking about stopping breastfeeding. And Emily says it's because Kobe wants that bond that she and Coben have because breastfeeding is a big bond and she understands that. But she isn't going to take that away from her son just because Kobe is here. And Kobe says it shouldn't just be about Emily and Coben. It's about all of them together. Kobe reasserts that back home, maybe in some cases they breastfeed to eight, nine or ten months. But it's rare to see a mom still breastfeeding at the age of even one year old. And Emily says, not in America. Emily's dad says, the longer the better. Kobe shakes his head no. In confessional, Emily's dad says he thinks Kobe was wrong completely and that it's perfectly natural for Emily to want to breastfeed. He says it's normal and natural and he was surprised to hear that it's not too common where Kobe is from. He was ready to jump in if he had to because Kobe was strong-willed and forceful. And Emily's mom says it's disappointing. Kobe says he is sorry to say this, but they are talking about his son. Emily corrects him. It's our son. Emily's dad says he seems to be doing pretty good. Kobe says Emily is going to be his wife and they make love and he likes sucking her breasts because he loves breasts, to be honest. So he can't be sharing breasts with his son. He doesn't want to sound selfish, but that's just the truth. This guy does sound selfish. It's up to Emily, and maybe she should stop soon if she wants to, but she should do it when she is ready. And Kobe's love for boobs doesn't override what's best for his son. In the end, he gave her a million reasons to stop the privacy that it's not done in his country for so long. Then he admits it's because he's a boob man, and so he wants to break that mom and child bond for his own selfish interests. That I didn't appreciate. Kobe tells Emily he can't be fighting with her when people are around. Emily tells him they still have 90 days. They can get into a lot more fights. Kobe admits they could even get into more serious fights. Emily thought the first fight over the breastfeeding and the pumping was kind of awkward that it got brought up today on day one and in front of her parents like that. She didn't appreciate that. She says this is day one and who knows what will happen on day 22 if this is already happening. Emily suggests that Kobe goes to help her mom cook dinner, and Kobe tells her, listen to me. He doesn't want her to sound as if she's trying to be controlling because he's in America. It doesn't happen this way, and she's trying to be very, very disrespectful and hurtful. Emily says she is seriously about to go over there and lose her shit on him. Next up are Bilal and Shida in Kansas City, Missouri. Shida loves the new house. She calls it heaven and completely modern and spacious. It's like a dream come true. She says, although the excitement and joy have her on cloud nine, she does see that there are still a lot of things she and Bilal need to figure out before they even get married. Bilal brings his kids over to meet Shida, and they are excited.
Shida says today she's meeting Bilal's children and they are the apple of his eye. They mean a lot to him. So she feels as if she needs to have the kids liking her. She wants to show Bilal that she is ready for motherhood and she knows her relationship can't be successful if she doesn't get along with Bilal's kids. The kids greet Shida with warm hugs and then Bilal joins in on a family hug. Bilal thinks Shida will be an amazing bonus mom for his children, but there's always a little worry in the back of his mind. His kids have to like the person that he's with first and foremost. He says Shida wouldn't be there if his kids did not like her. There's a lot of awkward smiling as the kids, Bilal and Shida, stand in the kitchen snacking. Bilal's daughter says Shida is what she expected her to be because her dad did tell them she was a shy person. Bilal's son needs to know more about her, but so far she seems cool. Bilal's son asks Shida if she would like to play games downstairs like pool or basketball. And she asks right now and he says, yeah. And Shida explains she's not into games and she doesn't play games at all. And she asks if the kids will feel bad if she says not today. And Bilal gives Shida this look with his arms crossed like wrong answer. If she wants the kids to like her, why can't she play some games with them? I don't see what the problem is or why she would say no. And who doesn't like games? Bilal's daughter says, no, let's go and do it right now. Shida says, okay, but she doesn't look too pleased. And she explains, this is not the type of thing she does for fun. She's not a game person. She says when it comes to game night back home, she's always that one relative who is just on standby watching everyone play. She likes to stick with what she knows rather than trying new things. But she will do this for the sake of Bilal's children so he can see that she is trying to build a relationship with the kids. The kids and Bilal teach Shida about pool. Shida asks the kids what they call their mother's husband and they call him by his first name. And Bilal's daughter asks what Shida wants to be called by them. And she says maybe one day Umi. Bilal's daughter asks Umi means mother, right? Shida says, yeah, it's a term of respect that kids normally use in her country. The kids are glaring at her, not too pleased with her suggestion. The kids just ignore it and they go back to discussing pool. Bilal's daughter says if Shida wants them to call her Umi, which means mother, she'll take that into consideration. But honestly, she doesn't know how to feel about that. She's still getting adjusted to the whole new wife and it's going to take a while. Bilal's son says for right now, he thinks he will just call her Shida and see how it goes. And Bilal's daughter agrees. Bilal says whether it's Umi or anything else, that's a fun, cool name. It also has to be something that's comfortable for his kids. Shida says in her culture, when you have a bonus mom, they refer to her as Umi. And it's a title of love and concern and respect. And part of her is disappointed that the kids seem like they aren't going to pick up on that right away. But she will give it time and hopefully the children will decide to call her that. I am no Bilal fan, but I do appreciate that he leaves it to his kids and what they are comfortable with. And he isn't at all pushing who Shida should be to them. In my opinion, I think it's too much of Shida to suggest that the kids refer to her with a word meaning mom. They have a mom and they may not at all ever see her as a mother figure, even in time. And if they do see her as a mother figure over time and they want to give her that honor, It should come from them and from their heart if they feel it, but it shouldn't ever be suggested to them. So I find it kind of rude and insensitive and ridiculous for Shida to suggest 
a word meaning mom, right off the bat. And then it was ridiculous that she felt surprised that the kids didn't want to use the term right away. If I was marrying a guy with kids, I'd first of all feel it was an honor that he wanted me to know his kids, and I would tell them to call me by my name like everyone else or whatever they feel comfortable with. And I'd always make it clear I'm not their mom, and I would never try to fill that role or take that place because it's disrespectful to them and to their mom, and I really wouldn't feel comfortable doing it. I'd want to like them, and I'd hope they liked me, of course, but I would never go into something like that intending to one day be a secondary mom. If over time it developed and the kids of themselves gave me some type of nickname, I'd feel honored and I'd feel blessed. But I would always be sure to have a clear boundary that their mom is their mom. And I would never want to infringe on that for those kids or their mom in any way. So Shida suggesting Umi was completely inappropriate in my view. The kids ask Shida if she wants kids. And she responds eventually. And Bilal's son asks, well, when you say eventually, how long is eventual? Shida says that's a question their dad needs to answer, not her. Bilal says they're asking her questions, not him. They ask Bilal if he wants more kids. Bilal asks his kids if they would like another brother or sister. And his daughter responds she doesn't know about that. His son says a brother, no more sisters. Bilal says they will think about it more and only Allah decides, but they will try to decide if that's something in the future. Shida says she thinks it's definitely something in the future, babe. Bilal says he thinks she definitely wants it to be in the future. More like sooner, but they will have to see about that. And his daughter dismissively chuckles and she says, we'll see about that. It's obvious she's not down for more siblings. And Shida looks like she just smelled shit after that. Next up are Binny and Ari. They arrived at JFK. They're in New York City. Ariel's parents come to the airport with a huge welcome sign for Binny. Ari's dad is excited. He hasn't seen Ari and Avi in 10 months, and he's only seen Binny once. They play an old clip of Ari and her parents sitting with Mimi and Binny's family members, and Mimi asks Ari's dad if he has a fear like them about the relationship between Ari and Binny. Her dad answered very much so because it doesn't look easy, and he's not taking any bets on this. He doesn't know. Back at JFK, Ari's dad says he certainly has concerns, so hopefully it works out. Ari's mom wants Benny to be happy in America. She's worried about that. A couple months ago, Ari's dad thought they weren't going to make it. He never thought Benny would make it to the U.S. Ari's mom wonders how Benny is going to do with the U.S., and it's a different relationship. She says Ari went out of her way to learn the culture and the food. She even got the baby baptized, which was way out of her wheelhouse, just for Binny. So Ari's mom wonders, when Binny gets here, what's he going to do to dig into Ari's culture? And if he doesn't, she wonders how that will affect the relationship. She says Binny needs to do his part when he gets here if he really wants to have a relationship with Ari, because Ari always has high expectations. Ari's dad says this is bigger for Binny than it was for Ari. Ari had lived in Argentina for four years before she came back. Ari's well-adjusted to travel and different cultures, maybe Binny not so much. Ari's mom says Ari has to remember that Binny has got to get used to this and give 
him a shot to adjust to being in a totally different environment with no friends or family. Benny had to give everybody up to come to the U.S. And Ari's mom is worried about him and she hopes he can adjust. But he doesn't know anybody there and they have to make sure he meets the right people and that he stays on a good path. It'll be hard, but she points out that Benny doesn't like them interfering in his relationship with Ari. Ari calls and talks to her mom a lot, and sometimes she thinks it really pisses Benny off. Ari's dad says if that pisses him off, then he's going to be pissed off a lot of the time. Ari's mom says it gives her anxiety and butterflies. Ari calls her every time something happens, like an argument or if Benny's gone and he doesn't call her. And he won't have anybody to lean on, and it might piss Benny off a little bit that Ari depends on her family so much. So since they're going to be living near each other and in the same town every day, Ari's mom wants to be as involved as she can because it's still 50-50. They don't know how Benny will be or what to expect. Ari and Benny finally emerge and greet her parents, and Benny is so happy he's finally here. He says for him, it's very exciting. Ari's mom is trying to enjoy the day now that they are here, but their way of thinking is like, okay, what's next? What are they going to do? How will Benny like it? So Ari's mom is trying to stop herself from worrying today, and she wants to just enjoy their company. She tells Benny they have a very crazy family and he has to get used to it. Benny hopes by moving to the U.S. they can start fresh, and he wonders if Ari's family is good for him or bad for him. Ari says she guarantees him no one is going to throw wine in his face. Benny jokes he hopes so. Ari feels excited and hopeful, but she is most worried that they think they are starting fresh. But maybe the problems that happened before are just going to follow them and they could end up worse off than before. Next up are Patrick and Thais. Thais arrives in just two days and he got her something special for when she arrives, an adorable puppy. Patrick wanted Thais to have a dog so she has a little companion for when he is gone at work. Patrick asks his brother John if he thinks Thais will like the puppy. John says you couldn't not like him. In Brazil, we meet 25-year-old Thais. She describes herself as intelligent, smart, and cool. She works as a model. She says Patrick is handsome and muscular and sexy. And she never dated an American before Patrick. She's never even spoken to another American before him. They met on Tinder. He asked her to dinner, and she found it interesting because Brazilian guys don't ask women out to dinner. They behave differently towards women. She thinks it's difficult to find a good Brazilian man. Thais visits her family at her grandma's house. The most important thing to her is her family. They're very close. Her grandmother on her mother's side and her have lunch together every day. Thais was 11 when her parents divorced, and five years later, her mom had her little sister, and they all live in the same neighborhood. They always help each other out, and her family is sad to see her go, but she tells them she is happy to be going, and she doesn't want anyone to be sad and crying at her leaving. Her grandma's already crying, but she is happy her granddaughter is going to be with the man she loves, Patrick, and that she's going to marry him, but she will miss her grandmother, and her grandma says, Thais lifts them up. Her dad pretended she wasn't leaving until yesterday and he got sad, but he's very protective over Thais. Thais says her dad is a good person and she has a very good relationship with him. He's like her best friend, but he treats her like a child. He never accepted that she had boyfriends. He put a boyfriend Thais had at school on the run. He ran after him to beat him up. 
Thais told him that she is just going to travel. She didn't tell her dad the truth that she's moving away to the U.S. permanently and that she's marrying Patrick because he'd be sad. Everyone knows that she will be living in the U.S. except her dad, who thinks she is just visiting the U.S. and returning to Brazil. And her dad doesn't like Patrick. He thinks Patrick is just another American, so he won't take Thais seriously regarding Patrick. Her dad thinks maybe something bad will happen to her if she goes away. She doesn't know where her dad got the idea that American men take advantage of Brazilian women. But since she is leaving tomorrow, she wanted to tell her dad the whole truth, that she is moving to the U.S. and getting married. Her dad says Patrick will have to be her protector in the U.S., since she doesn't have her mom or her dad or her grandma and she doesn't know anyone. He's only met Patrick two or three times and he says his daughter is young and they have to be suspicious. He tells her she can't just disappear and he asks what her plans are and she tells her dad frustratedly she doesn't know. She tells him she won't stay there forever and if she doesn't like it, she'll come home. Tice explains her dad is very jealous and he wants to protect her a lot and she doesn't feel it's the right time to tell him the truth. Her dad says he doesn't know how long his daughter will be there, but his heart is getting broken. He's in tears. He's overcome with emotion. He gets very emotional, and he says he gets emotional because you raise a daughter and then they leave. Thais doesn't know when she will tell her dad the truth, but she loves Patrick, and she wants this for herself and to be together with him, and she believes she's making the right decision. Kara and Guillermo are up next. Kara and Guillermo are headed to her mom's house. Guillermo has met her mom once before, but he will meet the rest of her family and they get to pick up their dog and Kara is excited to see how Guillermo and her brother interact or how Guillermo and her uncle will interact because they are all characters. Guillermo asks Kara for some questions he could have for her family. She says he can ask most things and they will be very honest with him and they will probably be asking him a lot of questions. She says her uncle will definitely threaten to beat him up and he might mean it and he might not. And Guillermo has to see what he is saying and how he is saying it. Guillermo looks super nervous on the car ride over and he says he's going to vomit. Kara explains her uncle Mike is a father figure and he is very protective of Kara and very important to her. Her parents separated when she was young and her dad passed away in 2019. So her uncle is an important figure in her life. Guillermo says Kara has told him her uncle will be overprotective and it worries him because he wants Kara's uncle to love and accept him. Kara's mom explains she met Guillermo when she went to visit Kara in the DR and he's a nice guy, but Kara has never been serious about anyone. So she says hopefully he's the one, but she doesn't know. She says time will tell. Guillermo jokes that the house looks so much bigger than he thought and Kara's uncle looks so much bigger than he thought. Kara says, yes, he could fuck you up if he wanted to. Kara's uncle tells Guillermo he feels like he already knows him. He's been stalking him on his Instagram. Kara asks Guillermo, how does that make you feel? And he responds, nervous. Kara says her uncle Mike used to be a private investigator. And Kara explains what it is and that people use PIs to dig up dirt and find out things. And Guillermo asks her if she asked him to look him up. And she says no, but he could of his own prerogative if he wanted to. And Guillermo looks nervous at that response, and he's swallowing hard in that confessional scene. Does Guillermo have anything to hide? Uncle Mike says there was all good stuff so far. Guillermo is safe. 
Kara asks her family if they have concerns about she and Guillermo or their new life starting. Are they worried about anything? And Uncle Mike asks Kara, are you? Kara says she just takes every day as it comes. Uncle Mike tells Guillermo Kara is like a daughter to him and his concern is for her and her well-being and them being able to coexist. He wants them both to think about how they're going to take care of each other because Guillermo doesn't have any job and he asks Guillermo if he's worried about that at all. Guillermo says a little bit, but at the same time, he knows everything will be okay. Guillermo says he would like to have a house just like Kara's mom's house in the future. That's his dream. And Kara's uncle says it doesn't have to be a dream in the U.S. If he just works hard, he can get it. Kara's mom says she does believe that Guillermo and Kara are a little naive. She thinks Kara will be able to make money, but she doesn't know if Guillermo will. It's yet to be seen, and it could be a big problem. Kara's uncle asks Guillermo if Kara is the first American girl he's dated. He never dated an American girl, he says, but he definitely had something with an American girl once. Kara's uncle asks, you had something? What did you have? Guillermo says he just kissed her and that's it. Kara's brother asks, what made Kara different from this other American girl? Guillermo says one night he got sick and Kara was moving everything just to make him feel comfortable and to bring pills and those kinds of things like to take care of him. And he thought that is something that your wife does and she wasn't his wife and she did it. And he loves Kara very much. Right now, Kara's uncle is very impressed with Guillermo, but his main concern is how Guillermo treats her. He doesn't want it to be a thing where Guillermo is being kind and sweet to her for 90 days, and after that, he's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's the kind of thing that Kara's uncle is looking out for, and he's usually a pretty good judge of character. So if that's Guillermo's intentions, he will know. Kara's uncle warns Guillermo he'll keep his eyes on him, Next up are Eve and Muhammad in New Mexico. Eve is up and ready to head to work as Muhammad is still in bed, half asleep. Muhammad says his first morning in America is very quiet. He usually wakes up in Egypt with the street vendors calling out tomatoes, tomatoes into a microphone. It's so gross. He just woke up, still in bed. I doubt he brushed his teeth yet. And Eve gives him a huge kiss. I don't give a fuck how much I love someone. I brush my teeth first and they better brush their teeth before I kiss them or they kiss me. No way. Eve can't believe he is in her bed. She says it was the best day and the best night and it's still a dream. After two years to wake up and see her king in bed. I want to know if he sees Eve who is providing his whole livelihood as his queen or not. Last episode, Muhammad was displeased she hadn't set up his bidet yet. Muhammad says it was amazing that instead of waking up, hugging his pillow, he had Eve. Back in Egypt, he lived with his mom and he never lived with a woman ever before. Muhammad expected after waiting two years, he was dreaming he wouldn't be having breakfast in bed. He was dreaming he would go out and discover where he is living. He's disappointed that Eve has to go to work. My question is, why can't he go for a walk on his own or call an Uber and head to Home Depot to buy and install his precious bidet? He's a grown man. Why does he need Eve to show him the town? He is grown. He can call an Uber. She's working and paying for his roof and the food that he eats. Why can't he be more appreciative? I also can't stand his voice and the tone of it. He annoys me completely. He says he is trying to understand 
but he didn't want to spend his first morning in America by himself. Muhammad is going to meet Theron, Eve's son today, we learn. Eve feels bad leaving Muhammad alone at home, but she has to go to work. She doesn't have a choice, she says, but she has to be the sole provider until Muhammad has the authorization to work. They're thinking that will take eight months, but Eve has no idea, and so it's stressful, she says. Muhammad asks where the bidet is. He suggests maybe he can install it himself. That's a great idea. Eve shows him the box. Then, like he's a little kid, she shows him the kitchen and what food is available. There's avocado oil and eggs and greens and the pan on the stove. And she tells him she just has five minutes. She's got to get to work. He tells her he thought she was going to make him his breakfast. He's a grown man. Why the fuck can he make breakfast himself? She has to head to work. She just said she barely has five minutes before she has to leave. And she is now working to also support his freeloading ass. Can't he make his own breakfast? This guy is a man-child, and now I officially can't stand him. Eve explains she can't make him breakfast. She has to get to work. She tells him he's on his own this morning, and he tells her not to get too used to that. Wow. So it's an expectation of his that she will cook all of his meals. This is totally batshit and it's total bullshit. He's a grown man. She already has one child with special needs. She doesn't need to add a second child. Is this guy going to be able to be a supportive person in a supportive role regarding helping her with that? She needs him helping her, not adding to her stress. Eve tells Muhammad it's the first meal he'll cook in America and he should look at it that way. Muhammad says Eve made him frustrated because he expected her to cook for him because his mom usually cooks for him and watches out for his needs. Well, get the fuck out. He's a grown man and it's his responsibility to cook for himself and to take care of his own needs. He can't expect a woman who is his lover to also baby him and treat him like a child. What an effing loser this guy is. I can't stand him at all. Muhammad says if he needs something, he expects Eve to do it, like his mom did back home. Well, he will soon be disappointed. What a loser this guy is. He expects women to cater to him. Wow. He says this is not what he was expecting for his future wife. So he was expecting a mother figure to cook and clean and coddle him and go out and work to pay for his roof and food and whole existence, who will also fuck him? Gross. Maybe he could find that in Egypt, but he won't be finding that in America. He can't even take care of himself as a grown man. How will he take care of his woman and provide for her and take care of his future kids if he can't even handle himself? It's embarrassing, really, and pathetic. He should feel embarrassed, in my opinion. Muhammad says he has only been here one day and he has started to miss his mother. My advice is go back home then. His mom should have taught him to be an independent adult and a grown man. He thinks his next 90 days will be tough because he will be stuck at home and he hopes he will be able to survive with a new lifestyle. He made his food and he left the electric stove on with an empty pan. Thankfully, he noticed it. If not, Eve might be homeless. I question if this guy has any type of mental incapacity or disability. Because at 25, you should at least know to turn the stove off. I mean, there are 12-year-olds who can make their own eggs and remember to shut the stove off. So I feel like some wires aren't connected or there's something very off with Muhammad. I don't think even Muhammad will make it in the long run. I really don't. Next up are Emily and Kobe. 
After Kobe tells Emily she's trying to be controlling and she's hurtful and disrespectful and she says she's about to go over there and lose it, her dad walks up and says he hates to break up this love fest, but he tells Kobe it would be a nice bonding experience with his future mother-in-law if he helped her out in the kitchen, as Emily suggested. Emily is really annoyed after Kobe started a fight with her and tonight is his welcome home dinner and her dad is off to pick up his mother-in-law. Kobe tells Emily, let me explain something to you. And his tone is incredibly condescending. He tells Emily she can't stand and talk to her future husband, commanding him to go and do something. She says she should have said, rather than go help my mom in the kitchen, honey, do you mind helping my mom in the kitchen? And Kobe says the approach is totally different. Now Kobe tells her it would be his pleasure to help her mom in the kitchen. Emily is super shocked because Kobe in China would never talk to her like this. He was so sweet and laid back. He was the nicest guy. And now Kobe is this manly man trying to tell her what to do. And she's a little taken aback. Emily's mom is teaching Kobe how to make guacamole. Kobe explains that he was so mad at Emily, she tried to stop the argument, the fighting, by giving him a command. And he says it was very, very rude and disrespectful. And he didn't like that at all. Emily's mom says she thinks it's kind of weird that they had a fight on the first day, but she doesn't know Kobe that well, and they need to learn how to work out their differences, so she didn't want to get involved. Emily's dad tries to hand Coben to his father because he needs a diaper change, but Coben clings to his grandfather. Kobe says Coben doesn't want to come to him because he has a strong bond with Emily's family. Kobe suggests getting Emily for the diaper change, but Emily's dad changes the diaper. Kobe is really nervous about if his son is going to accept him, so he realizes that he needs to build a bond, a serious bond, between himself and his son to make up for all the lost time. They all sit to dinner, and Emily's dad asks what the main course is typically in Cameroon, and he says a little bit of everything. Cameroon has a lot of French influence, and Kobe explains in Cameroon they have two different cultures, English and French. Kobe's dad is from the French-speaking part, and his mom is from the English-speaking part. He didn't grow up with his dad until he was around the age of 14, so his English is better than his French. Kobe explains his dad was never married to his mom. His dad had his wife, and he is his dad's child out of wedlock. So he didn't grow up with his dad, and he wasn't really Kobe's role model growing up. So Kobe is trying to correct some of the mistakes that he thought his dad made in the past when it comes to his own son. Kobe says it's very important that he is in Coben's life, especially when it comes to his upbringing. Emily's mom wants to hear how Kobe proposed. Kobe says Emily always told him she really wanted a proposal where the man takes a knee. So he bought the ring and he acted as if he slipped and he was about to fall. And then she caught him and by that time he was on his knees and he had the ring. He says that was the first ring he ever offered to a girl. Kobe admits it wasn't a real diamond. Emily's dad says it's the thought that counts. Emily says she wants a real one when they get married and he tells her not to worry. She will get a real one. Emily's dad jokes he's in real trouble. Emily says she is the boss, remember? Kobe says she's the boss, he's the overall boss. So, Emily's dad asks Kobe, in your culture, who's the boss? 
Kobe says the man is always the boss. Emily's grandma says that's kind of scary here. She explains to Kobe the whole thing about Emily is that they will all do what Emily tells them to do. So for that to change will be very dramatic. Emily's dad asks about other cultural things. He asks, so in Cameroon, you get married, you live with the parents for a while. Or do you automatically go off and live on your own? Kobe says, no, they live alone. It's not normal or common to live with the parents. Kobe explains, traditionally, you go to the girl's parents' house and you present a gift like a bottle of whiskey. And her dad jokes, he's waiting for his. Kobe says, unfortunately, that only happens in Africa. After bringing the gift, now the family of the girl gives you a list of the things that you are going to present on the day you want to do the traditional marriage. Emily's dad tells Kobe they don't want to break any traditions. He jokes, give us a couple days to generate a list. We'll present it to you. Emily's parents say it's kind of like a dowry. And her dad says, Kobe gave us a grandson and that's probably enough. Emily's dad asks Kobe what his expectations are of the U.S., Kobe says there are so many opportunities in the U.S. and you can make life better for yourself in the U.S. Kobe says with time, he can see what he wants to do. Emily's dad tells him he has to find a good job and work and provide for his family who will demand a lot of things from him. Emily's dad says he doesn't think Kobe really has a plan. So he's very concerned because Emily is his little girl. So he is really concerned about Kobe being able to provide for her, for himself, and for Coben. He says Coben was brought into this world, and he's a big responsibility, and they are responsible for him. Emily's dad says he has to sit down with Kobe and figure out how to get from point A to point B, because he can provide for all of them. That's not going to happen. Back to Shida and Bilal. She says it's super hard to be away from her family, and so many emotions are flying right now. Shida FaceTimes her big sister who always gives good advice and who is very straightforward and to the point and she doesn't sugarcoat anything. Shida tells her sister they have a lot of issues to sort out as far as getting married before 90 days. They still haven't come to decisions on some issues. One of the problems for her is potentially being a mother. It's important to her and she wants to be a mom and one day very soon. Her sister tells Shida that's a conversation Bilal and Shida should have together. And Shida says, Bilal keeps avoiding this conversation. He opens his eyes big and he looks like he doesn't know. She told Bilal before coming to the U.S. she always wanted kids. And he never gave her a definite answer. All he said was he wanted kids in the future too and he didn't mind having two more kids. But now he is saying something different. Shida feels like with Bilal, he has everything now, his kids, his perfect home. He potentially might get his wife, her, and the story ends there for him. But for her, she feels like she is now starting her story, like now she is going to get her potential future husband. And now it's time for her to build her family. And she is getting old. She doesn't have much time left. Shida's sister says they have to have that conversation because Bilal has to realize that he had his life already, his wife and his children. But this is Shida's new life, her new start, she says. This big eye thing that he is doing, Shida needs to close those eyes shut and let him realize she has needs too. She has to tell him, yes, she loves the house and the fancy things, but she wants a human being. She wants a baby and she wants to be a mother. 
Shida is crying. She says she gets to see all of her siblings have families and have kids. She asks her sister, what do I do? She hopes she and Bilal can have the conversation soon. And she looks at Bilal as her potential soulmate. She says he is super caring. He's very romantic. He's a gentleman, but she needs to know if he wants kids. She's 37, so she doesn't have much time to have kids. She says if Bilal tells her he doesn't want to have kids, it will break her heart and it would be a deal breaker for their relationship and end it. Back to even Muhammad. Muhammad is trying to install the bidet, but he's having trouble. He explains that Eve has to go to work on his first day in America, and he expected his first day in America to be relaxing, not fixing new things like the bidet Eve bought for him. He can't figure it out. It's not going well, he says, and he can't live without a bidet. It was too hard for him to install, so he just decided to stop trying. Eve gets home finally with Theron. Eve explains that over the last two years, her son Theron and Muhammad have chatted a lot on video chat. Theron adores Muhammad, but physically, Eve thinks it will be a difficult situation. Eve hopes Muhammad does get along well with her son because her son has special needs, and she knows it's difficult. It's difficult on her sometimes. She loves her son, but there are challenges, and it's demanding sometimes. Eve knows Muhammad does have a heart of gold, but maybe it could be too much, or maybe it's not something he wants, and she would never hold that against him, but it would break her heart, she says. Theron walks in, and it's very heartwarming. He automatically hugs Muhammad, and I have to say, Muhammad is very sweet with him so far. Muhammad says it was an amazing feeling when he saw Theron for the first time, and he gave him a hug. It made Muhammad feel like he was home. I'll have a group hug and it's very sweet and Eve is even tearing up. She says Theron was looking at Muhammad like he couldn't believe that he was actually there. Like he couldn't believe his eyes. And she says it was a beautiful moment. Muhammad brought Theron presents. Eve says it's great to see Muhammad and Theron together and Theron is comfortable with Muhammad. And Theron even during dinner he gets up to put his arm around Muhammad. It's so adorable. I'm still not a Muhammad fan, but I like how kind and loving he is being with Theron, and it is heartwarming to watch. Eve says she knows it's not what Muhammad is used to, but she says it would be helpful since he is home if he could look after Theron in the afternoons. I don't know about that. If Muhammad forgot to turn the stove off initially, can he handle a few hours a day unsupervised with a special needs kid? I don't know. Muhammad agrees to do it. Eve says Muhammad is well aware that Eve has been struggling to find consistent child care for Theron, and that will be his role, to assist her so she can go to work. She trusts Muhammad to be alone with her son versus a babysitter, but the reality is sometimes it won't just be Muhammad watching her son for an afternoon. Sometimes it could be for the whole day. Eve hopes Muhammad can handle it. Muhammad says he loves Eve's son and he doesn't mind helping, but he left everything, his country and his family and his ability to have other dreams in Egypt, and he came here to be living with Eve, but he feels a bit more like a babysitter than a fiancé. Muhammad says he's not prepared to do these female duties in the next 90 days. So in Muhammad's pea brain, women have one job and men another, and men shouldn't be doing female work. This man needs to take his ass back to Egypt if he feels that way. Men in America watch their kids, men cook and clean, men learn how to install things even when it seems complicated. They don't just decide to stop because it's hard. Muhammad's not behaving like a real grown man. 
Eve is working to pay for him, his visa, his roof, his food, and his whole existence. And now he's saying he isn't prepared to do the female duties of babysitting. This guy is like nails on a chalkboard to me. I like how good he is with Eve's son, but his disgusting attitude of what a female should do versus a man is gross and impractical and antiquated. He is so backwards, he can't lower himself to do the female duty of babysitting her son so she can work to pay for his roof. Get the fuck out with that bullshit. The female duties. Back to Benny and Ari. They're exhausted after the trip, but she is excited about them starting their new life together in America. Ari's mom rented an apartment for them, and Ari has never seen it. She's excited to see it. Her mom got them the two-bedroom model. Ari thinks the apartment is big compared to what she was used to, and Ari's parents live just five minutes away. Ari's mom got them a year lease, and she paid the down payment and the security deposit and the first month's rent, and she hooked up the cable and the internet and the electricity, and they have to talk about when Ari and Benny are going to take over the payments. Benny wishes he can get a job to help right away. He thanks Ari's mom for doing that for them. She says within the first two or three months, if they can take over, that would be best for everyone. Her dad says they have to work out a plan for their own sustainability and to lead the life they want to lead. And he says they want to help. Ari says if she had come here herself first, she definitely would have gotten a cheaper apartment. She says this was a big stress on them right away. And getting the two-bedroom, more expensive apartment in the expensive place with the expensive cable and then telling them, oh, by the way, you have to pay for all of it, so get a job really fast. Ari says they have no idea what the future holds. She says while she is so appreciative to her parents for finding the apartment and covering the first month's rent, she doesn't know if it's realistic to expect them to start covering the rent on their own as soon as possible. Her dad says it's good to start off nice like this. Ari doesn't know what kind of job she is going to be able to get, and Benny can't work for at least 90 days or more until he gets his work permit. So that's another stressful thing. Ari explains she and Benny only have a few thousand dollars saved to last them in the U.S., the immigration process is expensive and they moved countries and it's day one and they already have to face this financial stress. Binny and Ari had the expectation that when they came to the U.S., everything would be different and new and exciting and it would be a chance to just work on their relationship and spend time together as a family and to start over again. But neither of them really know how they will provide for the family long term and it's really scary. She wonders, what if this doesn't work out? Back to Patrick and Thais. Thais arrives today and Patrick is headed to the airport to pick her up. And it's a dream come true. Patrick wants to look his best because Thais can have whatever guy she wants to have. And he thinks effort goes a long way. He got a facial and a haircut and a tan going. And he lost some weight and he got his back waxed. He even decides to wear his Rolex. So he's ready to go. John says today is the day they will all be under one roof and they'll see how that goes. Patrick is nervous because Thais is not excited at all to live with John. She has no desire to have him live there. And Patrick is hoping Thais can get to know John for who he is and know he is a good person and hopefully they can have a brother-sister relationship. After all Patrick put into it and all the time he spent going to Brazil and being with her and learning another language, this is the big payoff and he wants everything to be perfect, 
when Thais gets here. Patrick's biggest hope is that Thais isn't too tired for sex. Thais says she feels incredible. She's so happy she accomplished the dream of their life together. It's so gross. He asks her, want my tongue? And he licks her cheek and then tongue kisses her. It grossed me out because I don't find Patrick attractive, I guess. He's like the opposite of the kind of guy I like. Thais isn't going to tell Patrick that her dad doesn't know that they are getting married. So Patrick seems to be under the impression that her dad knows that she is marrying him and moving to the U.S. Patrick thinks her dad likes him and thinks he's cool because he gives her lots of gifts and he's nice to Thais. And Patrick thinks that her dad really likes him a lot, but in reality, her dad doesn't like him at all. So, so far, Thais is super controlling of Patrick and has him by the balls. And she's lied to her dad, saying she was just on a trip to America. And in reality, she didn't tell her dad she was marrying Patrick. And her dad doesn't like Patrick at all. And she gives Patrick the impression that her dad loves him and knows she is marrying him and moving to the U.S. when that's really not the case. In my opinion, Thais will manipulate as much as she can out of the situation and go back home when she's sick of Patrick. But we will see. She says Patrick will be sad if he finds out that her dad doesn't like him. She doesn't want bad vibes about this or to tell him the truth. Patrick tells her when he gets home, he wants a quickie. She asks if John's room is close to theirs, and Patrick says yes a little bit, and Thais says he will hear a lot then. Thais told Patrick before that she doesn't like having a roommate. And Patrick explains it's not just a random roommate, it's his brother. And he tells her she knows how important family is. And she asks Patrick if he lives with her family. During the car ride to the house, she says nobody wants to move to the U.S. and move in with someone else. She says they need their freedom, it'll be hard, they will try, but if it doesn't work out, she would go back to Brazil, no problem. And Patrick tells her, my love, you need to calm down. And she repeats again, I would go back to Brazil, no problem. Back to Emily and Kobe. Emily says it's his first night in their home, so she will let the fight they had that day go and enjoy their night. Emily teaches Kobe how to change Coben's diaper. Kobe is so happy he gets to spend the first night with his son. He never thought he would get to this day, and he almost gave up at one point in time. But he says, Emily never felt discouraged, not for a second. She kept sending Kobe pictures of his son, telling him how cute he was, and she was always talking with Kobe and calling him and telling him things about Coben. And Kobe had been dreaming of when he would get to spend the night with all three of them together as a family. He wanted to sleep next to his son. Kobe thinks Coben is surprised that he is going to be around him. The bed is really, really cramped, and Emily doesn't think there's enough room with Kobe in it. And Kobe wants to share a bed, and he doesn't feel he's disturbing Emily from nursing or putting Coben to sleep, but there really isn't enough room. Emily feels claustrophobic, and Emily says they will try it out all sharing a bed since Kobe wants to, but there really isn't room. And if you look at the bed and you look at the scene, there really isn't enough room. Emily says Kobe being here is great and she knows he's excited to be close with Coben, but he is distracting Coben and Coben is confused because it's usually just him and Emily during his bedtime routine. And Kobe is being loud and not following their nighttime routine, so Coben is not falling asleep. Emily says there isn't enough room in the bed and she doesn't think Coben will fall asleep with Kobe there and she tells him there's another bed for him. 
and Coben is getting super hyper, and she tells Kobe it's impossible to put him to bed with Kobe there. And she tells him he'll have to sleep in the other bed tonight. Kobe says Emily telling him he can't sleep in the same bed with them is really discouraging. Kobe goes to the other bed, and he says he's frustrated because they talked about these things when he was back in Cameroon, and she told him the bed was too small for him to sleep in it too. And he told her if she thinks the bed is too small to get a bigger bed before he gets there. Well, listen, her parents aren't money trees. These are the available beds. And Coben is used to a routine. I don't understand why until Coben gets adjusted and they get a bigger bed, he can't just say goodnight and sleep in the other available bed unless he is the one paying for the mattress. He has no right to complain. Kobe says he felt left out and he isn't coming to be sleeping alone or away from his son. He's been away from him from a tender age when he needed him. And he's here right now and Emily is telling him he can't sleep there and he thinks that's crazy. He says Emily has to give him this chance as a father to play that role in their son's life. And she isn't doing that. According to him, Kobe says he can't believe this is happening. I think it's the first day, and I understand Kobe wanting to make up for lost time. But Coben has a routine and his people he is adjusted to. And it will take time and slow adjustments for Coben to be able to love and accept Kobe as his father and to form that bond. Kids and babies have routines, and the bed wasn't big enough. And even if it was a California king, the baby isn't used to Kobe yet, and he isn't going to fall asleep if this new person is in his bed disturbing his routine. Kobe has to be patient and little by little let Coben adjust until it gets to the point where he is a normal part of the routine. Coben is adjusted to, but that's just my opinion. Next time on 90 Day Fiance, Mahala, Jibri's mom, and Miona are doing laundry and Mahala asks Miona if she might be willing to wear something that's a little more modest. Jibri says his mom is testing Miona and it's not acceptable. Jibri tells his mom that Miona is not feeling comfortable and he's pissed off. Ari and Binny are going to New York. Binny is getting goosebumps. He's so excited. And they're at dinner and he tells her he feels they can start living here. He asks Ari what she thinks and Ari looks like she's not having it. She says, no, it doesn't make any sense. Binny tells her to calm down and she says she fucking hates it when he tells her to calm down. Never tell a pissed off woman to calm down if you actually want her to get more calm. Guillermo tells Kara every time she drinks, he knows almost exactly how it's going to end. And her friend asks, how does it end? And Guillermo says she'll get drunk, not remember what happened last night. She just wants to keep going and never stop. Kara says she just does what she wants to do. She says, your opinion is great, but if I don't agree, then I'm not going to do it. Eve tells Muhammad there's a guy there to install the bidet. And Muhammad tells Eve, in Islam, that's not right. A man and a woman cannot be alone. That's so ridiculous. If a man and a woman are alone, will she accidentally fall on top of him? He is just a maintenance guy installing Muhammad's precious bidet that Muhammad couldn't figure out on his own and he's going way overboard trying to push his religious beliefs on her and there is no reason why a man and a woman can't be alone together. There are a million reasons why a man and a woman can be alone together and it be a completely benign 
situation. Not everything has to be sexualized and considered inappropriate because one person is one gender and another is the opposite gender. That's so stupid and unrealistic. And Muhammad can't impose it on her. She isn't of his faith. Eve asks Muhammad if she is allowed to be in the house with a, and it cuts off, but I'm guessing she means a man, like if it's a maintenance worker or a plumber or something benign. And Muhammad says, no, you're not allowed. Wow. I would get him a a ticket back to Egypt right at that moment. I mean, at the first night when he was displeased about the bidet, I would be getting him a ticket back to Egypt. John has a beer in the morning and Thais comments, beer in the morning? John says, you've arrived for one day and you're going to pull this? Nah. She says, without a doubt, she did not come to the U.S. to live with John. Patrick tells John to back off a little bit. John says, fuck it. No, fuck you. In response, Bilal and Shida are driving somewhere and she tells him, these are my feelings and I want you to respect it. And she's getting sick and tired of Bilal punking her. She lightly touches his head with her hand, very lightly, and he tells her to keep her hands to herself. He says he can literally pull over right now and she will be taking an Uber for the rest of the ride home. He pulls over and he tells her she thought he was joking and he gets out of the car and Shida looks visibly shaken. I can't stand Bilal. A true gentleman would never leave someone on the side of the road or tell them to take an Uber like that for just a joke. It was a light touch to the head. It wasn't even a slap in the least bit. I really can't stand Bilal. If he leaves her on the side of the road in a country she doesn't know, that's so messed up. We'll have to see next week. That does it for this episode of 90 Day Fiance. To my YouTube viewers, please like and subscribe and tell me your thoughts down below in the comment box. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.